Hi there, Pastor Austin Vondracek here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message by our guest pastor and friend will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. And again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you to the team. Uh, In case you didn't recognize me without a guitar in my hands, uh, my name is Lindsay Berkey, and I'm the director of worship here at Rosewood Church. Uh, I usually stand about here, so this feels like a bit of a big step. Um, That was my joke. Um, In in all seriousness, seriousness, though, it does feel like a little bit of a big step because uh, even though I don't get super nervous leading worship in front of people anymore, just speaking in public, for me, like a lot of people, can be a little nerve-wracking, even uh, panic-inducing. And see, actually, for my entire adult life, I have struggled with chronic panic attacks. If you or someone that you love gets panic attacks, then you probably already know the phenomenon that I'm talking about. But if you're not familiar, it's episodes that can include rapid pulse, dizziness, shortness of breath, chest pain, nausea, to name a few symptoms. And actually, it's not uncommon for someone having a panic attack for the first time to go to the emergency room thinking that they're having a heart attack because they can feel pretty similar. It's not a fun experience, and it's not really something I would wish on anyone, but I realized recently that my experience with having panic attacks has actually taught me a valuable coping mechanism in life. When I feel my pulse racing, my hands shaking, my knees getting a little weak, I focus on what I know. First, I'll start with something super basic. Um, I know where I am. That might be at home, uh, that might be in my car, it might be on the platform at church. I might be having a panic attack, but at least I know where I am. Then I think about the people that I know that could help. Uh, My husband, my family, my friends. I could even call 911 if it was an actual emergency. I know people that can help. Then I might think about my own symptoms. Um, Okay, my head is pounding, uh, my hands are shaking, I'm breathing a little shallow, but I've done this before. I know that objectively, it'll be over soon. It might seem silly, but focusing on what we know can be really powerful in a situation full of unknowns. And in life, it's often true that knowledge is power. How many elementary school parents, elementary school teachers do we have in here? I know it's a good number. Uh, Does anyone know what month it is? It's it's March, yes, it's March. Does anyone know what month March is? Reading month, yes, March is reading month. If you're a parent of an elementary school kid, this is like drilled into you. Um, We get calendars, we get like notes sent home, reading every day. My kids will come up and hand me a book and be like, you got to read this right now so I can get my candy tomorrow. So March is reading month. We put a lot of effort into teaching kids how to learn how to read because knowing how to read empowers them 
in every other subject in school, really in every area of life. Knowing how to read is powerful. What about parents of teenagers that are learning how to drive or young drivers? That is not a portion of parenting I'm really excited about, but it's important, right? Teaching kids to drive is important because knowing how to drive empowers them to go so much farther than they could ever walk. Knowing how to drive is powerful. And ultimately, knowing who we are and knowing who we are in Christ empowers us to live the lives that we've been called to live. So this morning we're going to look at Ephesians 3 to see what Paul has to say about knowledge and power. He says this, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power. Knowledge is power, and we see first that power comes from knowing your family. Paul actually makes a little play on words in the Greek here. He references God, the Father, as pater, from whom every family, the Greek word patria, derives its name. But it's more than just a Greek pun. Paul is essentially identifying this is where we come from. This is our source. God is how we derive our identity. And he's the source of every person in every family. He's the creator. But for believers, it's more than that. We are adopted as sons and daughters of the king. We're part of the family. Think for a minute about what it's like to be a guest in someone's home. I don't know about you, but I was taught to be on my best behavior when I went over to a friend's house, right? You wanted to get invited back, so you had to be on your best behavior. But it was sometimes tricky because you don't know all of the rules. And there's often unwritten rules. Uh, where do you put your shoes? Where do you put your coat? Do you have to use like a coaster under your drink? I remember how humiliated I was when I learned that the decorative tea towel on the oven handle at my best friend's house was in fact intended to be decorative, and I had been wiping my grubby little hands on it every time I came inside. It's fun going to a friend's house, but there's something different about just being home, right? You know the rules. You know what's expected of you. You know where everything is. Like, you don't have to ask where the bathroom is. And when you're hungry, you can just walk right up to the fridge and get something to eat. And life hack, I learned in college, you can still do this as an adult. You can just go to your parents' house and open the fridge and eat something, and they won't even say anything. There's just a level of confidence that a child has when they're in the presence of parents that they love and they trust to take care of them. As children of our Father God, we're given that kind of confidence. Timothy Keller puts it this way. He says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access to our Father God, and that confident access is powerful. Power comes from knowing your family. Not only do we have access to the king himself because he's our father, but we have access to his riches. As creator of everything, ultimately, everything belongs to our father God. So he's capable of providing us with anything that we need, right? 
In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus puts it this way. He says, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll wear because your heavenly father knows that you need these things. And our needs pale in comparison to the vast resources that he has at his disposal. Knowing that we can rest in God's provision and not worry about our day-to-day needs is powerful. But God's riches, his resources, are so much more than tangible things. Throughout scripture, we see references to spiritual riches, the inheritance set aside for God's children. Paul prays in Ephesians 1 that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which God has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Just like a teenager raiding the fridge, God invites us to take and take freely from his riches of kindness, patience, grace, hope, and wisdom. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously. When we truly understand our identity as children of God, who is a good and gracious father, and when we understand the glorious inheritance that he's already set aside for us, we're empowered to confidently ask him for what we need. Power comes from knowing your family. Let's keep reading in Ephesians 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Power comes from knowing you're not alone. I don't like walking to myself, walking by myself to my car at night, even if I'm just walking across the church parking lot. When it's dark, I'm like, nope. Um, I have a blue belt in Taekwondo, but I'm not confident that all five feet of me would be able to take someone if they came at me in a parking lot. So I do what a lot of other women in my position do. If I have to walk alone at night, I pull out my cell phone and I call someone. It doesn't really matter who I call, and it's not usually a long phone call, but just knowing that there's someone on the other end of the line that knows where I am, that cares about me, is enough to give me some confidence to get where I need to go. That feeling of confidence is compounded when someone that I love is actually walking beside me. In fact, I'm probably guilty of paying too little attention to my surroundings when I'm around my friends, but there's just something about being in the presence of someone that you love that can make you feel invincible. As believers in Christ, we're given the gift of God's constant presence with us. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we're strengthened, empowered, and comforted. In fact, one of the New Testament words that refers to the Holy Spirit is paraclete, which means comforter, helper, or intercessor. Just like having a friend to walk with us in the dark, knowing that the Holy Spirit is with us, working in us and through us, gives us power to face whatever comes our way. Power comes from knowing you're not alone. And Paul takes it one step farther, saying that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That verb dwell or take up residence reminds me of the difference between me and my mom when we go on vacation. I'm going to call you out, mom. When I go on a trip, uh, I live out of my suitcase the entire time that I'm gone. In fact, I 
usually don't even bring a suitcase. I get a, like a laundry basket and I just chuck everything in there that I want. Throughout the week, I pull stuff out, I chuck stuff back and it works great. It's a super honed system. Um, but my mom is not like that. When we get to the hotel, she'll take her stuff out of her suitcase and put it in the dresser at the hotel. I didn't even know that was like an option. I really thought that the dresser was like there to hold the Gideon Bibles and set the TV on. But no, some people like my mom really make themselves at home. In fact, she's even been known to rearrange furniture, which I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to do that. Um, she'll move a table, she'll move a chair, she's moved beds before, but whatever she needs to do to make room for what she wants to accomplish in the space. And I actually think this is such a great picture of how Christ wants to dwell to make himself at home in us. When we make a faith commitment to Christ, we receive the gift of his indwelling presence in our lives. But instead of offering him a dresser and inviting him to unpack and make himself at home, we can live in such a way that minimizes or even ignores his presence with us. Warren Wiersbe says something really challenging in his Ephesians commentary, Be Rich. He says this, if God took the Holy Spirit out of this world, most of what we Christians are doing would go right on and nobody would know the difference. I'm going to read that again. If God took the Holy Spirit out of this world, most of what we Christians are doing would go right on and nobody would know the difference. Ouch. Lord have mercy. I think he's right. It can be so easy, so tempting to live in our own power, to rely on our own talent, our own strength, our own knowledge, our own accomplishments. But if we're acting in just our own power, what scripture calls the power of the flesh, then we don't really need the Holy Spirit. And we wouldn't notice if he wasn't there. But if we want to live the lives that we've been called to live, to do the things we can't do ourselves, if we want to have the power that comes from knowing we're not alone, then we've got to stop living like we're alone. Christ wants to dwell with us, to make himself at home, unpack his suitcase, move things around, and even purge some of the clutter, some of the junk to make space for what he wants to do in our lives. Galatians 5 says to walk by the Spirit. I like the way that the NLT puts it. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. But as the Spirit works to clear the clutter, Jesus has room to unpack his suitcase and do the work he wants to do in our lives. Galatians 5 goes on to say that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Since we are living by the Spirit, and in a very real way, since the Spirit is living in us, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. When we learn to live in relationship with the Spirit of Christ, to say yes and make room for Him as He unpacks His suitcase in our hearts, we're empowered to live fruitful, victorious lives. Power comes from knowing you're not alone. Finally, let's read the climax of our passage in Ephesians 3. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Not only does power come from knowing your family, and power comes from knowing you're not alone, but power comes from knowing you're loved. When I was pregnant with Lily, our second child, I experienced something that I've heard other parents express as well. We were genuinely excited to have a third kid. I'm I'm sorry, a second kid. She's a middle child. She gets missed all the time. We were genuinely excited to have a second kid. Um, And I was really excited to give our oldest, Juliet, a sibling. But I remember feeling a little sad and kind of guilty because there was just no way in the world I was going to be able to love another kid as much as I love my firstborn. Like, I would try, and I had every intention of making her feel like she was just as loved, but I genuinely didn't think that that was going to be possible. In fact, I actually thought I'd have to, like, take a little bit of love from my oldest, kind of give it to my middle child so that she would be able to have some love, too. I just, I didn't know what I was going to do. My heart was already spent. But when I held my second daughter in my arms, I realized that those fears were completely unfounded. Somehow there was just more love to give. If we as inexperienced, imperfect parents can love our children with a love that surpasses our own understanding, how infinite must the love of our Heavenly Father be for us? How wide, how high, how long, how deep. I love the picture that Paul paints here. He's like, look around you. Point a telescope in every direction. How far can you see? Yeah, God's love stretches even farther than that. We're called to experientially understand a love that can't be understood. To know a love that surpasses knowledge. As children of our Father God, redeemed by the blood of Jesus and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we're intimately known and deeply loved. Power comes from knowing you're loved, but what does God's love empower us to do? You may have heard a phrase, it's popular in counseling and psychology circles, hurt people hurt people. The idea being that people who have unresolved pain, trauma, baggage, 
are prone to taking out that pain on other people. You've probably seen this play out on TV before. Um, you'll see a storyline where the school bully, the mean kid on the playground, goes home to an abusive parent. Or you'll see a customer being really difficult in the checkout line, going home to take care of a terminally ill spouse. Pulling back the curtain and allowing us to see the hurt, the pain that people have experienced, can be really humanizing. And it can remind us of our own tendency to hurt others when we are hurt. Who hasn't come home from a really hard day, in a really hard week, in a really hard month, in a really hard year, and just lost it? Lost their patience with their spouse, with their kids. Ultimately, we're all broken people. And so we're all tempted and we're susceptible to the temptation of ignoring our pain to the point where we inflict it on other people. But our identity as beloved children of God presents us with a much better alternative. Instead of resigning ourselves to being hurt people who can't help but hurt people, we're called to be loved people who love people. When we truly begin to grasp the sheer magnitude of Christ's love for us, it should affect not just how we see and treat ourselves, but how we see and treat other people. Listen to how John puts it in 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Power comes from knowing you're loved. And it's God's love for us that empowers us to love others. Think with me for a moment. What step is God's love empowering you to take today? Maybe today the Father is inviting you to become part of the family. Someone here might be realizing that you've never accepted the sacrifice of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on your behalf. God's love can empower you to take a step towards him in faith, acknowledging your own sin, knowing that it's only by God's grace that you can be called his child, not by anything that you can bring to the table. Or maybe today... The Holy Spirit is trying to get your attention. You're worn out, tired, and frustrated. You're burdened trying to be everything for everyone. Or maybe you're hiding, putting on a mask to disguise the fact that you are 
deep in sin. The same sin that you've been in for so long. And you're carrying the burden of guilt and shame. Maybe you feel like God won't receive you, like you've messed up too many times. But God is kind, and it's his kindness that leads to repentance. God's love might be calling you to lay your burdens before him, to repent from the sin, from the struggling or from the striving, and to turn to the one who's always right beside you. Or maybe for some of you today, Jesus is calling you to follow his example in love. Some of you here have a friend who is desperately in need of real love, a love they can experience, God's love, the love of a church community. Maybe God wants to empower you to reach out to that friend, to take that step. Or maybe someone today is just hurt, deeply hurt. And God's love is empowering you to do the unimaginable, to step out of that hurt and take a step towards forgiveness the way that Jesus forgave you. Maybe you're guilty of being a hurt person who hurts people. Maybe God's love is empowering you to take a step of reconciliation, to ask forgiveness, to seek restoration. As you begin to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of God is for you, I invite you to ask him, what step is God's love empowering me to take today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes it is so easy to forget. We forget who we are. We forget whose we are. And we try to find our identity in the things that we do. Lord, sometimes we forget that you are with us, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. And Lord, sometimes we forget your love. We forget that you love us so much that you sent your only son to die for us. Lord, help us to know that, you are, that we are yours, that you love us, that you are with us. I pray that each person here would be rooted and established in your love, that they may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know your love that surpasses knowledge. Thank you for that love poured out for us in the sacrifice of Jesus. You are a good and gracious Father. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for making Rosewood a part of your day. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.